ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Was he got yeah. like like strings in the background or something? No, no, it's just there's no that what Jeff Lynn wants to do is is take all of the moments where the energy might cause you to do something unpredictable <laughs> and remove it entirely from the production. Like it's just it is so flat and predictive. Like that's what's such a bummer about those two Tom Petty records is like you just know what's coming. Like there's no one also no... just shine, 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 like comfortable polish where you're just like, Oh my God. You know who Jeff Lynn like, is? No. Do you remember the Simpsons where Homer puts his head in the shino ballo? And he's working <laughs> at the bowling alley and the guy comes up and goes, Homer, did you put your head in the shino ballo? And then he fixes his hair in the squeaky forehead. That's in the electric light orchestra record. 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. Fascinating uh, time and location. I feel like I've, I've been abandoned uh, by Ben. You've left the East Coast, so we are recording 11 p.m. East Coast time. Jeff, you're in Berkeley. Man, welcome to the West Coast, Brother Barton. Yeah, no, for sure. And where Simon. are you, Ben? I'm in Portland, Oregon. We are All right. loved youngest daughter, Georgia, off at Reed College on Monday. Woo! Came out a little bit early and um, and having fancy ice cream and just living it up. I, I'm tired as well, Tim. This is okay. Late, but I bring you glad tidings of a double sized coffee milkshake that I had just ten minutes ago. Okay, <laughs> way to get used to the time change there uh, in Portland. Now, did you bring your microphone with you? you I did not. So just me yelling into my laptop. That's it. Oh, this is going to be wonderful. The the audience members are going to be so excited. Well, Ben Uh, is already so uh, abrasive with the nice mic. (laughs) I can't imagine what's going to happen now. Abrasive? How dare you, good sir? You you know what you are not is a late night jazz FM DJ. That's not the first way I would describe you. Or me, for that matter. Uh... All right, so so two West Coasters. I am back here with the rain in the mountains. Ben Barton, did you get out before it started? We did. We had some weather in Atlanta on the way here that was unfortunate, but we oh. did make it here. I had to drive for our first volleyball match of the season out into the Great Smoky Mountains. 40 was down to one lane because of a rock slide. Let me oh. tell you. Let me tell you, I trade with you in a second. I'm living in the literal Smoky Mountains. We have an orange sun. The AQI oh, right. over 100. Visible ash right. falling all day. So it's... See, uh, isn't this better than 50-year-old men talking about their bodies breaking down? We're just talking about the earth breaking down. And they'll use this dead. podcast 20 years from now as like, you know, primary text proof <laughs> oh, that this God. was when the world started to end. So. Oh, well, that, yeah. Us putting a podcast together might be a sign. All right, let's go. It is 1977. <laughs> we are looking at the 
best album uh, that came out in the year 1977. We're not allowed any repeats. We're being very uh, true to form when it comes to that. Uh, but first things first, Jeff Simons, what was the Grammy winning album of 1977? Well, you want to ask me, do you want to ask me several questions at once? Because I think you should, right? Also, what was the number one selling album released in 1977? Right. And you want that ben, year. You need a minute, Ben, before we. Uh, no, because I already know it. And uh, I'm sad to report I'm going to choose this dumb record. You are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, then I'm going to play the worst song from it. To you you got a lot of choices. And then. Um, play the best song. Play Staying Alive already. That's not it, my friend. That's not it. You are incorrect. What the Grammy winner is this Saturday night? Feature? Sure, no, it's one of the all there's only three soundtracks that ever won album of the year for the Grammys, and it's one of them. Like, I did the research. How is it possibly not the Grammy winner? Uh, okay, controversy early on in 1977. Oh, no. you, know what? you know what? It's probably in 78. It it's is Grammy winner in 78. It, it, this it, record, but it does come out at the end of 77. So it, yeah, it fits, it fits I, for here, you. How, first of all, look at me challenging Tim. I can't <laughs> believe it. Like, I, like I, I, I challenged the marketing department. I challenged Earlier. the department. Now yeah. I challenged the fact checkers. I owe you an apology, Tim. The research, yes. That, that's a good call. As Although as soon as you started speaking, I was like, uh-oh. And I had know. to scramble for my Tim, notes. <laughs> for those of you listening at home, Tim's eyes got real big there for a second. <laughs> so that was right, we got a preview Patty. from for next year's Grammy winner. All right. That was Oh Daddy from the uh, trillion selling record Rumors. It's the song probably everyone knows least well from that record. Let's hear it. I was just playing it while you guys were yelling at each other. Oh, it, uh, the, you didn't plug, plug the sound in then. I didn't plug the sound in? We didn't hear a thing. Oh, no. All I heard was the sound of Tim flipping pages trying to figure out <laughs> what the hell's going oh, on. Oh, here we go. Here's, here's the worst song on Rumors. All right. It's the Grammy winner. It's the number one album. Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, Daddy, you know you make me cry. How can you love me? I don't understand why. Oh, Daddy, if I can make you see. There's been a fool around. It's got to be me. What I find really funny about that is the next song uh, is the better version of that song. Same key, same speed, same acoustic guitar, but uh, much better. Which what is, is it? Gold, Gold Dust Woman. But listen, this is the next song. <laughs> same exact D minor. Huh. It's, everything's better. Singing the weird. Yeah. All right, there you go. That being said, I mean, like, uh, that's not that bad of a song. No, it's not. Record. Oh, I love this record. What's not to like? It's one, <laughs> one great song after another, and a What's couple your favorite? of like. Fantastic What's your favorite? Dreams. Go. No. Well, on the record, Dreams. Uh, my favorite song is uh, the Chain, but the live version is is the one I prefer. Uh, hit me with Dreams first. Hit me with Dreams first. Okay. Sure. sure. Yeah. That's my that's my favorite. And uh, landslides on this record. 
No, that's no. on the, the previous one. Oh, all right. We got secondhand news, which is great. Dreams, never going back again. Don't stop. Go your own way, which I also really like. Yeah. Uh, Songbird, The Chain, You Make Loving Fun, I Don't Want to Know, Oh Daddy, and Gold Dust Woman. Is there a more underrated guitarist than Lindsey Buckingham? Yeah. Underrated at all. He's, he's properly rated to overrated. Oh, overrated. Properly rated to overrated. Yes. You but, never... Oh. You never hear him in like top five guitarists. Right. Of all That's because he sucks at playing the guitar. <laughs> oh, He's he a really, that. really, really good songwriter. And and I mean, but like like Tim, you have kids like Mike, Mike girls love. They don't like, they love Fleetwood Mac. I couldn't choose this right. because it would just please them too much. Like okay. Like they, they think Fleetwood Mac is fantastic. I'm sure if you ask them, like Buckingham would be one of their top five guitarists, which is not okay. I mean, he's Hold not. On. First of all, Lindsey Buckingham is really good. I give you exhibit A. This is live. One guy, one acoustic guitar, and then he's going to sing while he's doing this. I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit. You He's, he's pretty, not a he's, top five guitarist, though. He's not. I don't, I don't think he's a top five guitarist, but I do. <laughs> I'm in the middle between the two of you. I think Lindsey Buckingham is more of a guitar hero than he gets credit for, but I certainly don't think he's top five. Okay. Well, I love Lindsey Buckingham. I, I, yeah, he's also the my favorite. Lindsey Buckingham is Bill Hader playing Lindsey Buckingham on oh, SNL yeah. and What's <laughs> Up with That and never getting to talk. Like that is the Lindsey Buckingham of my dreams for sure. So longtime listener Joe uh, threatened me and said, if I don't pick Rumors as my album for 1977, he is never listening to our podcast again. Oh. I know. We're going to miss him. We oh! are. So- nice setup. You gotta hey. call that, you gotta call that bluff. Then he's like making all kinds of outrageous demands. That's right. Who knows what's next? You'll have your you'll have all your records picked through the 80s. You know? Shania Twain, here I Warren's come. Yes. Cherry pie. You know, they can't be having that. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's get into a 1977 proper big, big news coming out of San Jose, California. A pizza shop opens in San Jose. California Pizza Kitchen. Help me out. Too early. It's uh, Chuck E. Cheese's. Uh, oh, begins in San yeah. Jose, California. That's perfect. Um, the TV show, TV show Soap debuts. Jeff Simons, I know you're going to love this question. Favorite character from the TV show Soap? Benson. Robert Guillaume's Benson, who spins off into his own, uh, into his own series. His own series. So he's your favorite. I don't know. It's the only one. I, the only one I can remember is Billy Crystal, who played. Why you have to choose police. the first openly gay character on a network show? That's I couldn't remember his name. I didn't want to be like the gay guy Billy Crystal plays. But thank okay, you for good, what's good. his name? Oh gosh! Well, first of all, how dare you call me out? <laughs> I'm here flying the flag for the good people. <laughs> yeah, so, that show was pretty funny. It, um, yeah, Robert Mulligan Benson was pretty funny him. too. Benson yeah, was funny too. 
solid, solid uh, network programming there. Who else was on Soap who's famous besides Ro- Robert Guillaume and Billy Crystal? I mean, so they had Ro- a couple of other big names yeah, yeah. on there. Robert Mulligan was the uh, oh yeah one, the husband. Um, oh, <laughs> our show just went dead in the water. Yeah, I think Ben's sound is out. Oh well, we'll move on. <laughs> All right. I've got I assumed li- you had it in front of you. My apologies. I've got a, a name the winners contest for you. Now, you don't have to name them all. I just want you to pick the category where you're the most confident and you can claim that category. Okay. So, who was the winner in 1977 of the Stanley Cup, of the World Series, of the NBA Championship, of the Super Bowl, of the Nobel Peace Prize? of the best picture and of the NASL soccer bowl. I know the NBA for sure. I was going to take the NBA. Uh, Jeff has the NBA. Ben, you have to pick something else. Uh, Give me the National Soccer League one. That'll be great. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Jeff, who won the NBA championship? The Portland Trailblazers. Yes, Ben is in Portland. The Portland Trailblazers win. Ben, you really want the soccer? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, go ahead. It's the New York Cosmos. It is indeed, although they had dropped New York from their name for some reason. The Cosmos. It's because there there were no longer any other teams. That was the only team in the entire league. (laughs) Just the Cosmos. And they scrimmaged the sides against each other. And that's (laughs) what they do. All right, I'll take Super Bowl next. And that was Pele's last game. His last professional soccer game was the Soccer Bowl. They actually defeated the Seattle Sounders. Uh, Jeff, you're going to take the Super Bowl. And this is the Super Bowl that took place in January 77, not the 77 season, right? I believe so. So it's the <laughs> Steelers over the Cowboys, and it's the Lynn Swan game where he catches the ball and he's falling over. Super Bowl uh, uh, 10, I think. I'm going to get the interns on this, checking on this. I had the Raiders winning the, the Raiders Super Bowl Raiders win Super Bowl 11 over the it's Vikings. 78. 32 okay. to 14 okay. and breaking a young Minnesota Viking fan's heart. Oh, well, in the thank process. God you were there to fact check for me. young intern. <laughs> um, All right. Anyone want to try baseball? It's yeah. either the Yankees or the Dodgers. I, I don't it, remember. It is the Yankees. We're doing very well. People hockey. Uh, it's not the flyers. Is it the Islanders? Is that the beginning of the Islanders dynasty? It is the Canadians in 77. Uh, Best picture. Ooh. Coming home. James Rocky. Honda? Rocky. Oh, we should have gotten that. And you'll never get the uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner. No. Amnesty International. I don't like it when they do that. They can't give it to groups. Give it to a person. Am I right? Yes. No, I think they should just give it to the people. <laughs> there was the time man of the year was like the people. Yeah. The, that was an unbelievable majority, the silent majority won the oh, man of right. the year. It's like, silent what? Majority. Unless they're going to pick our podcast for something. I need individuals winning these prizes. All right. Um, in 1977, the United States returns the Panama Canal back to Panama. Is there anything that the two of you currently possess that actually belongs to someone else? Something that you should give back? Like like the equivalent of a canal. Yeah. Ben, ben needs to give back the key to my heart. But other oh, than no. that, I can't think of anything. 
I actually do have something that I should return. So um, <laughs> confession time. law school, I had a really dear friend named Daniel Santiago. And he was a pretty good basketball player. In fact, he thought that he was a better basketball player than I was. Uh-oh. And we were going back and forth and lipping about it. And uh, I was like, I'll bet you a hundred bucks I can beat Jen one-on-one. Oh my God. Like, no way. And he's like, you didn't even have a hundred bucks. I was like, I'm going to go to the freaking ATM and get on a hundred bucks. And so are you, we're going to do this thing. So he was like, okay. So we went out on the hundred bucks, we put it on the side, we had our buddy hold it. I beat him one-on-one. And I'm taking the money. I'm just like, just laughing at it. No, we're going to go out and have drinks and I'm going to spend it on him anyways. So he's like, I can't believe that. He's like, he's like, you suck. I'm so much better than you are. <laughs> I can't believe that. I miss all shots I can make. And I was like, let's run this thing back. And he was like, no, 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 not for money, for pride. So I beat him again. Oh, no. Class, I take an empty shoe box and I write Daniel Santiago's pride on it. And I bring it in. And I'm like, look what I have. Look what I have. I'm keeping it over my bed. This, you're never getting this back. <laughs> so I should, I should give that back to that poor guy. You really oh. should. It's t- where does he live? He's homeless. He lives under a bridge. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he lives in LA. But Holy yeah. smokes! I had you his know, pride. I have known it since you a 1994. long time. I have known you a long time, and I don't believe I've ever heard that story. I got off easy playing one on one with you. Holy crap! I mean, how great would it be? If he gets a shoebox next week and it's his pride, I really think you should send it to him. Actually, it's perfect amount of time left. Yeah, he did that. Oh, that is that hilarious. Is All right. What do you have, Tim? What do you have that you should give back? I was actually thinking, you know, I stole my brother's clothes so much in high school that he had to put a lock on his dresser. Um, unfortunately, my brother didn't. Unfortunately for him, he didn't understand how dressers worked. <laughs> so I just took the drawer above the good clothes out. And then I just reached down and grabbed the clothes. <laughs> He'd see me in school and be like, how'd you get my sweater? Because that's what the 80s were like, kids. We wore sweaters to school. That's awesome. Very, very important. Well, you know what I would symbol. love is if you were like, well, don't tell anybody. You reached behind you in that basement and pulled out the missing copy of Monks the Scream. You just <laughs> unrolled it out of a tube and then rolled it back up. That would make me really happy. Have you heard of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston? Well, um, <laughs> no, I am, uh, I am clean, but we are going to get on to the deaths of 1977 um, because I've got a pretty fun question attached to it so uh i'm gonna say a bunch of things you guess the person who dies in 1977 i'm gonna go with cigar comedian uh, oh uh george burns brothers groucho marks good groucho marks apartheid peter gabriel stephen Biko. mandela Biko is the correct answer nice. Memphis. Elvis Presley. I didn't even have to get the toilet. Excellent. Good job. But this begs the question. Do you guys remember where you were when Elvis died? No. You? Yeah, I was in the backseat of my mom's VW Bug and it came over the radio and she pulled over and like had to collect herself. Wow. Yeah. Huh. No, it wouldn't have affected my it wouldn't have affected my parents in such a way. Yeah. Um so, so here's, here's the question. I, I went to New Orleans, you know, a, a few weeks ago 
had a great time. And, and one of the things I did was I went on a, a couple city tours and I saw the little studio that's now a laundromat, a studio where Little Richard recorded some of those first rock and roll songs. Uh, you know, I stood in Conga Square, um, went to some jazz clubs, and I was just thinking, oh my gosh, what a city. Is this, is this the best music city in the United States? Um, and then I thought like season three of our podcast is just going to be cities instead of years. And we're just going to go city to city to city. And we'll pick out like great concerts from that city, great artists, great moments, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm wondering, as we talk about Elvis Presley in Memphis, which has a real good argument for the best music city in the United States. Do either of you have a strong opinion of your number one city for music in the United States. Like I'll take these artists and these recordings over any other city in the United States. I'll go with New York. New York's a good one. You could go to New York or LA. Either one of those would be good ones. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I really don't. It's funny. I really don't have a go-to like it's this one. But both New York and LA are tremendous because they, they go on for so long and they change so much. Like you get... Tin Pen Alley and the Brill Building, and then you get the invention of hip hop, and you—I mean—you just get such a rich difference of stuff. But I thought L.A. was was like that move to kind of corporate music, like that's where, you know, like bands yeah, you were have manufactured. Yeah, the whole West Coast hip hop thing, though, and yeah, I mean, that's true. Like L.A.'s got its own thing to it. Yeah. You Minneapolis. Get the you get the Eagles. No, tell me the Eagles. God no. But it's Minneapolis a, is like you know Prince and the replacements and Husker Du and but take I'll take Prince along and Lizzo and Lizzo from Minneapolis right but doesn't this sound like a fun season three like we pick Seattle and then we do a deep dive into Seattle or um, good I like it as long uh, as we can go to we do them live from those cities I am super in like well I think, like get the marketing department on that because I want to be in. Portland when we do Portland. well it's it's I'm funny saying. this this week has been tough because I've been working on monetizing our podcast and reaching out uh, but the the website that was going to sponsor us fans only is asking us to do some things that I'm not ready to do did they involve <laughs> full frontal nudity like whatever. that's amazing just leave it there Tim. <laughs> don't fill it in listen as far as Jeff and I are concerned, if you're going to do the hard work of the things you don't want to do and we get paid, that's fine with us, you know? Our three albums. Ben, you're right, I already spilled the beans. Yeah. So just, I'll just go ahead and go first. Um, yeah. First, in 1976. So the 70s were freaking insane. Yeah. Yes. We've, we've explored that. 76, yeah. New York Magazine writes an article by the British journalist, and I put journalist in quotes, Nick Cohn, called The Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night, where he allegedly goes out to Brooklyn and visits all of these discotheques and interviews the people and then writes a composite piece of the character that becomes Tony Montero in Saturday Night Fever. Later, he admits, and it's obvious, the, the, the piece is online. And if you read it, you're like, that, this, what? Like, there's no way, it's not even in the neighborhood of truth. Like, it's just a thousand percent fiction. The guy who he's writing about is a 
British. It's a mod guy he knew in the 60s in London. He just, that's amazing. Guy he knew in London, it was like, that's what disco's like. Uh, the, the, the stupid article comes out and they're like, you know what, that, that'd be a movie. Why not make that a movie? Note, note the date. 76 is when the New York Magazine article comes out. Robert Stigwood, who's a, a, a music publicist, basically doesn't know anything about the movie industry, buys it. He's like, that's a movie. He calls Cone up, the guy who wrote this fictitious thing. It was like, do the screenplay. The guy's like, well, I don't know anything about being a journalist. <laughs> a screenwriter. So he, he takes the first stab at it. And Stigwood's like, I don't know about movies, but this is like barely in English. Like this is a disaster. He fires him. He brings in uh, Norman Wexler, who is the, he's most famous for Serpica. That's what yeah, he did right. to write a happy, mo happy movie about this. About dancing, yeah. And if you see Saturday Night Fever, you understand. Like, it's a disaster. Right? He signs on the Serpico guy, which who weirdly has a somewhat dark take on disco, which <laughs> I will get to. So they go through one director, <laughs> then they get a second director. It's a freaking, every step of this process is a disaster and a mess. It's a super, super low budget movie. They have one famous person in it, John Travolta. Most famous for being the cool guy on Welcome Back, Cock. Yeah. That's what he's most famous for. They're like, oh, you're just flushing your money down the toilet with a stupid idea. They get the script and the script is unbelievably dark. They go forward with it anyways. It's literally like Serpico or um, <laughs> Mean Streets with a little bit of, couple of dance scenes in it. And they're just like, sure, that's, that's what we're making. They film the entire movie without getting the rights for the music that they're dancing. So they're dancing to Stevie Wonder and Timmy, do you know who they dance to? So Paul and Oates? What? What do you got? Our guy Boz Skaggs. No way. Boz Skaggs is featured in multiple spots in the movie, including what was the stupid song Jeff played last week? Oh, 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 oh. yeah. Lido? With Lowdown. Oh, Lowdown Low was the other one, yeah. The main dancing scene with him and the woman where they're practicing, that yeah. was all to Lowdown. Wow. They had, the movie is in the can. Boz Skaggs, who I knew I didn't like. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, idiot, no. Calls them up and he's like, oh, no, you can't use my songs. I've changed my mind. Oh. You changed your mind. He's like, I'm going to do my own Boz Skaggs disco movie project. So you can't have the song. Is that true? <laughs> that Boz Skaggs gave up the opportunity to be the main person on this soundtrack. So unbelievably stupid. So now they're in a little bit of a pickle because they've got an actual movie in the can that's about disco and they don't have any disco song. So Stigwood calls up our guys, the Bee Gees. Woo! Jeff, what year are the Bee Gees formed? 1966, I believe. Oh no, my friend. They're a skiffle band in 1967. Love it. A skiffle? That's skiffle. right. I They're forgot about band. that. They're a late 50s skiffle band too. Holy what the hell is skiffle? It's an early form of like up-tempo folk bluegrass that morphs into uh, really wow. early British uh, rock and roll. Like Okay. It's a, it's a running joke that anybody who made it in rock and roll started in a skiffle group. Right. <laughs> but I mean, like they actually did. And this is the other thing that's hilarious about this. 
this is not uh, a story of a young bunch of crazy kids making it in the music business. Like yeah. these poor guys have been slogging it out in the movie business since the late fifties. Yep. So they started a skiffle band. They have a couple of minor hits in the sixties. They have a couple of minor hits in the beginning of the seventies. And they're like, they're, they're born in the forties. And like, I can't remember the name of the oldest brother, the bald guy. <laughs> he's like, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, like he's whoa. 68 We're talking... years old. Yeah. Robin Gibb, is that what you're talking about? He looks like the I guy. I thought Barry was the older brother. He looks like the guy no, who answers the, the door in Rocky Horror Picture Show. They look oh, a lot totally. like. <laughs> no, for sure. So they, uh, they, and they're like continuous, like they just won't give up. They keep hanging in there with their sound. They keep working on it. And uh, so they have a, a really big hit with Jive Talk. They have a number one hit, but that's basically the first hit they've had in a long time. And they're like moving in this disco direction. So Stigwood calls them up and he's like, listen, uh, we got a movie here and we need some disco music. And they're like, well, you, you can't the right place. We've got disco songs. <laughs> and by the way, uh, they're at a French chateau. They yes. are at the honky tonk chateau that uh yes elton john recorded that yeah, totally. yeah ben, so ben did you did you see the documentary no no on, oh it's awesome i i gotta recommend it but go on so they're at the chateau they get the call the, the i mean legend has it apparently they probably had some songs in the can but they claimed they basically sat down wrote the songs in the weekend said them to stigwood stigwood's like wow these these songs are but we need something a little more disco-y and we need something that has the word Saturday night in it and that's how they write Stayin' Alive. <laughs> Saturday night. They Saturday we need something out. more disco-y and we need something that has the word Saturday night in it which makes me super extra mega happy. And also they have to be the specific BPMs of the songs the kids are dancing oh, totally. to. Like it's it's like it has to be like done, 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 done. Like so they even like it's so prescribed. It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, so they, they do this. It's a real fly-by-night, last-minute thing. The movie comes out in 77, and it's, uh, it's hard to describe how gigantically popular the album was. It's insane. It's also really hard to describe how weird this freaking album is. I can't believe that it was a number one hit for 20 years, and it sold 20 million albums. Uh, the track list on this record. All right, so Staying Alive, How Deep Is Your Love, Night Fever, More Than a Woman. These are all, although I really, really, really hate How Deep Is Your Love, we'll get to that in a second. These are all gigantic, massive, huge hits. If I Can't Have You, originally performed by Yvonne Elman, also yeah. gigantic hit, and that's a, that's a Bee Gees song. They, Great they song. Wrote that song. It's a double album, so that's side one. You're like, off to a good start. Side two, you get all of the weird instrumentals. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Beethoven, Manhattan Skyline, Calypso. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and then the Tavares, More Than a Woman. Side three, the Night on Disco Mountain, which is Night on Bald Mountain redone. Open Sesame by Cool and the Gang. For no reason, but it's so great. That song kicks so much ass. I hate that song. That song is so stupid. <sighs> Talking You Should Be Dancing, Boogie Shoes, Casey and the Sunshine Band. Um, then you're back to South which is another one of these weird ones um kg and disco inferno which like, is 11 minutes long disco wow. inferno right so freaking weird and how was the movie a gigantic hit i have no idea i was trying to describe it to georgia i and, and i saw i was like okay take a look at this poster what do you think it's about and first of all the poster is freaking amazing she's yeah. like, 
that looks like that would be a really fun movie. And I was like, okay, hold on. Let me read you the Wikipedia description. Of the movie. <laughs> and so I'm going through it. And I mean, it starts right out. It's like, sad guy works in hardware store, gets yelled at by his dad. She's like, wait. And then I'm like, there's some dancing. Don't worry. Then we get <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, now, now like he's going to win, right? I'm like, oh, we haven't gotten to the gang rape suicide portion of the entertainment. But right. It is off the hook unbelievable it's like unwatchably dark and i will say it's actually it's a powerful work of art i kind of like it i'll just be can right. i share i wrote a blog post about this movie like four years ago because i remember the night my parents got a babysitter and went to see saturday night fever and of okay. course like i'm a pop culture kid like i want they, the next morning at breakfast i want to know all about it and this is verbatim the conversation that my parents had about saturday night fever at breakfast <laughs> dad it was horrible. Nothing <laughs> happened at all. It's a movie about a bunch of vulgar idiots. Me, <laughs> like what? Dad, here's the whole movie in 30 seconds. Hey, jerk, eat your effing breakfast. F you, <laughs> F yourself. <laughs> the end. My mom, Chris. And this is for saying the letter F. He just, he said F, not, you know. And dad, well, that's what happened. And the mom, but the main person, what's his name? The dancing one. Me and dad simultaneously, John Travolta. Yes, wow, can he dance, goodness. Dad, who cares? It was awful, son. You're missing nothing, awful. That's that's it, that's my dad's movie review of Saturday Night Fever. It's, it's pretty amazing. good. That's outstanding. It. It really so did. here's the, like, uh, and actually I was, I was describing my choice to uh, George in India and Georgia was like, three out of four years, you've chosen a record you don't even like. And I was like, it's actually true. I'm, I'm in a rut right now. I'll just be <laughs> frank. My favorite record is Stupid Billy Joel, The Stranger, but we already talked about that. So this is easily and by a mile the most influential record of this year. It really is. It's one of these, it's like, it's so influential. It's a record that both is the peak and destruction of disco all in one thing. Like yeah. it, it announces to all the world, not just America. This was a gargantuan, massive, huge hit. This goes the thing, and everybody's really into it, and almost immediately everyone's over it. They're like, "Wow, that's the greatest thing in the world!" Like, it, like there was a a song written by one of the Gibbs brothers uh, as the number one song in the number one song in America for like forty weeks in yeah. this. Like between Andy Gibbs and the Bee Gees, they controlled it all. They had they were the first band since the Beatles to have five top ten hits in the same week. That's top insane. And were BG songs. I like, remember falling asleep to the top 10 at 10 on Q107 in this year. I put my ear on the clock radio real quiet so my parents couldn't hear it. And it was seven out of 10 were always BG songs. It was a <laughs> BG's countdown at the top 10 at 10. It was incredible. And that didn't, I don't remember that stranglehold ending until Rapper's Delight came out. And then the whole thing changed, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was like basically, and I was a little a little kid, but I remember too, it's like you could not possibly escape this record. And then it was basically until the Michael Jackson record where it happened again. Yeah. Time where I was like, holy crap. But I mean, it's completely insane that they had this level of success and especially where they were in their careers. Like it's just off the hook. Can, can we um, hear a little bit of how deep is your love? Because I want to know what your beef is with one of my all-time well, no, favorite me, love songs. Just, uh, give me the first two lines of Staying Alive, and then we can do How Deep Is Your Life. Okay. Saturday Night Fever by various artists, but really the Bee Gees. 
This is a great song. Also, that it goes, it fakes you out right there. That yeah. is my favorite thing in the world. And it doesn't start there, it starts here. For almost like that's one of the greatest parts of a movie ever ever done. Like that opening shot with Travolta walking with the song, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, uh, here's what I'll say that's funny about it. Um, this is the most influential record, but it like nothing. There's not another song after "Staying Alive" that sounds like "Staying Alive." Nobody right. imitated it. It's completely finished. "How Deep Is Your Love" is a horrible, hideous sounding ballad. And ballads still sound like this stupid song. I love this song. There's a song right now that sounds like this. Here they come. Those background vocals make me laugh every time. Getting louder and louder and louder and louder. Here they come, here they come. That keyboard sound is still bumping around very unfortunately. And that the background singing and all of that stuff. The that's breathing. Enormously, enormously glorious. I mean, in all of the 80s so ballads. And the I feel you touch me in the pouring rain, like that's just a weird image. Like pouring rain, and then I feel you touch me. Like did you sneak up behind me? Like I and that I hate that it's me you need to show how deep is your love. Just such a lovely little misogynist twist. Like I'm still oh, not sure. Dare Following you. me around no, in the rain, that's coming to me on a summer saying. dream freeze. But oh, you'll keep man. proving it. Jeez. All right, hey, listen. This is also the first truly gigantic soundtrack. Yes. The soundtrack to the graduate was a medium-sized hit, but that not anything to touch this. This was a gargantuan, massive hit. How many of the top ten? best-selling soundtracks can you guys name Greece all right please hold. tell me Greece is on there I think oh, Greece is 11 ah. oh wow all right so it's a top 10 oh the bodyguard uh yes the wait that only has one song no no more the bodyguard tipped over uh, Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever had 16 million certified units in the U.S. The Bodyguard, 18 million. Look at that. Uh, singles. That's not <laughs> on the list at all. I Come do on. Single soundtrack, but that is not on the list. I love that. That's such a great Tim guess. It, critically, yes, but what? Oh, Forrest Gump, maybe. That's Forrest Gump clocking in at number what? 12 million. Uh, there you go. And, and basically, when you think about it, like, like it's just a greatest hits record. Yeah, right. 
and they really laid out for the money. I mean, laid out for the music. And uh, so it kind of makes sense. It makes more sense than like the way Tim said with the bodyguard. The bodyguard sold a jillion solely on the back. <laughs> One song. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think it sold this much, but easily the most popular soundtrack since uh, the bodyguard is Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, every oh, single so the, this, bit this I've talked for the last too soon to catch Guardians of the Galaxy. But well, like every, units, like we don't sell anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. That, Guardians of the Galaxy is big. Uh, you're missing one that you should definitely get. Okay, give us the decade. I chose a song from this album. Oh. 1984. A Purple Rain. Oh yeah. yeah, I keep forgetting that's a soundtrack. But yeah, yeah Purple Rain is number three. Right. Number four is Forrest Gump. Number five, Dirty Dancing. Oh, oh I would have gotten that if you gave me another How do you seconds. call your lover boy? Yeah. Uh, number six, we've discussed this one also. Celine Dion's own. Oh, oh Titanic. Titanic. Titanic, 11 million. Oh. The Lion King, 1994, 10 million. Sure. Jesus. Uh, uh, 1984, Kevin Bacon in tight pants. Oh, Footloose. Footloose. I own that, Kevin baby. Yep. I love that one. Uh, and then number nine, really making me super happy. Kenny Loggins. With Top the Gun? Top Gun? Top Gun. Yes. He went to the danger zone. Yeah, but that <laughs> also has Take My Breath Away. Of I course. Mean, yeah. yeah, totally. That's got some big ones. <laughs> And then number 10, this is a record that I have and really like. Is that right? There's three soundtrack albums that have won album of the year. Okay. Uh, one of them is the one we just discussed. I can't remember. Yeah. I think the second, I think the, I can't remember it's the body. I think it's uh, maybe it's, maybe it's purple, right? I can't remember. This is the third one. Movie came out in 2000. Featured a lot of country and folk country and oh, a brother were out there. Oh, brother were out there. Eight million copies of that record. Is that insane? Yeah, I own that puppy. Yep, the huge, gigantic, massive hit. Well, that's how uh, all the then, artists bought their houses. I mean, geez. yeah, yeah, right. And the rest of them are like waiting to exhale. This is the rest of the twenty. Um, the Little Mermaid. Under no circumstances did any of us have gotten 1992's Pure Country at number Holy 14. Smoke. That was a movie. Flashdance '83, uh, Space Jam '96. I believe I can fly. Ooh. Currently not looking so good. Nope, nope. The Big Chill. Oh, that was a huge soundtrack. Yeah. City of Angels in 1998. No. Idea. The Jazz Singer in 1980 with a really unfortunate picture of Neil Diamond. It's not working out for him at all. <laughs> That's a rough and one. And then Ovida '1996. Oh, yeah. Isn't that really good? Yeah. That's actually a fascinating cross-section. How many of those CDs are holding up coffee table legs in America right now? Like that is oh. the, those are the most likely to be found in a yard sale for a nickel, for sure. Well, oh yeah. my God. Like, here's the thing that's crazy about the stupid Saturday Night Fever thing. They put it out as a double album. And I mean, even for a double album, it doesn't have some filler. It's got two entire sides of useless yeah. crap that no one would ever listen to in any circumstance. Yeah. The crazy thing is that it turned out to be just a work of freaking genius by the Stigwood guy. Uh, the only people who got paid anything, this is by rumor, but it's, I completely believe it, are Stigwood and the Right. right. All, Eve, the Cool and the Gang song, 
and the soundtrack stuff, he paid, he was like, I'm going to put you on the soundtrack. Here's 10,000 bucks. Walk away. You get nothing. Yeah. And they were like, 10,000 bucks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> took it. I mean, and they he, thought they'd never, they were just like, that's for some free money. And then it turns out to be this giant yep. that guy that guy's a businessman that's the thing that's crazy is you you've got to believe that if he thought it was going to sell anything he would have made it a single album you know what i mean like as a business proposition it was insane to make it a double record including there was some really bad interstitial music on it um and yet it's like just like everything else with that movie he spent three million bucks he made 200 million bucks on the movie let alone the stupid soundtrack um, oh, yeah. man like he just fell with his ass in the butter because when you sell 20 million copies of a double album now yeah you're really making some gravy <laughs> yeah unbelievable outstanding and then his next movie do you know don't tell me the worst movie ever made it's the sergeant pepper's lonely hearts oh Club band. yeah totally and that's got the Bee Gees in it with peter, yeah. peter frampton and the Bee Gees and a very coked out aerosmith doing come together that's a, it's so bad. It's unwatchable. It's not that was so a bizarre bad. It's, movie. it's so bad. It's like, how did this not kill all these careers? I remember yeah. being a little kid watching that and being just so confused. Like, is this oh, yeah. entertainment? It was bizarre. All right, Jeff Simons, what's your 1977? Hard, once again, hard to top. Right. The story Meister Ben Barton, who's just bringing it. Oh, and by the way, I forgot week. to say, I promised to choose a record I like next year. I'm actually oh, good. Oh, okay, good. Well, here are two records again. This is a band that puts out two records in 1977. Um, this is a super rock and roll geek pick. And uh, I don't care. And I don't care. And Go with it. Go give, with me, it. give me crap all you want. Um, and this is a band that's got a, a pretty sizable cult following. And people like me are always asking people like you to give them a chance. And you laugh at us. But uh, our story begins in Illinois in 1969 and 1970, when a bunch of kids uh, graduate from high school in the midst of the renaissance that becomes classic rock. And they, they, so they make all these little local bands. And finally, like the best players from all these bar bands all around the Chicago area, they coalesce in Rockford, Illinois in 1974. And they start playing bars and the bars want them to play top 40 so they learn all the top 40 songs but they start sneaking in their own originals and the originals get as big a response from the crowd as the cover so they start getting in more and more and more and um and they're not only each great players but they're um they're really kind of interesting personalities um and they are blessed to find one another and they are a ridiculous example of the sum being better than its individual parts. Taken individually, each one of these guys is, is a talent, but not a supreme talent, not somebody where like, well, that's obviously the best player in the room at that instrument. But when they, when they play together, they are, they are a jet engine taking off with a melody you can sing along to. So they, they're clubbing and clubbing and gigging and gigging and gigging and gigging and they're writing, writing, writing. And somehow they play in front of a really influential guy named Jack Douglas, who's a producer in New York. He's like, I'm resigning this band, signs them to Epic Records, and they come out of the gate. They make five records in four years. And um, this is the story of the band before they, they break and become very, for a small moment, a very popular band. 
So I'll tell you the story and then we'll back up. They make a, this debut record and nobody buys it. I mean, and I mean, nobody, like it's, a, it's, it's on CBS Epic and it sells no copies. So they rush right in and make a second record in the same year because they've got all these songs and they go the other way. Like the first record is what the band sounds like live. And it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty aggressive and, and it doesn't thread the needle. The next record, uh, the production's really poppy and uh, it's a little restrained. And the band is touring, 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 and not going anywhere. They're third, they're first of three on all these package tours. Um, and then they get a phone call and say, I don't know how to tell you this, but your single is this weird runaway hit in Japan. Would I you like to go to Japan? Like, I love it. And like play this a couple of shows. And like, well, we've never oh, left I, the, I, the United now States. Now I who we got. And I, I guess you will go. They step off the plane to Japan and they're the Beatles. There's 10,000 people screaming at the airport. They go to the Budokan to play their show and they can't hear themselves play because teenage girls are just screaming at them out of control. So they the record they call the record company like, we're a big deal here. And they record the show, record the show. So they record tapes of the last two shows in Japan and they rush release uh, a, you know, seven or eight tracks from it to radio stations. Radio stations start playing the live versions of these songs. It explodes. Like radio stations are playing a white label promo, and they're like, "By our and you know, we're pushed. No one wants the records. They want the live records. So they rush release a live record. It goes immediately into the top five. And the the great underdog story of Rockford, Illinois, Cheap Trick, one of my one of my like Pantheon <laughs> bands, has its moment. They make a brilliant record called Heaven Tonight. And they make a really underrated record called Dream Police from 75 to 80. They are one of the best bands in the world. And then the 80s are not kind to them. They make a lot of really embarrassing, very bad records. They kind of pull it back together in the late 90s. They are now, they're still kicking around. The drummer has retired. The guitarist's son is now the drummer. Uh, but they are, an, they are an, now an American institution. They represent... For me, the hope that uh, if you're if you're good, you'll be found. You know, like I really want to believe that if you're a great band and you stick with it and your material is great, eventually you will have your day. So in 1977, yeah. you get Cheap Trick and In Color, the first and second records by a wonderful American band. Um, I like all these songs, and if you'll indulge me, I'm gonna play. Um, a little bit of a song from the first record so you can hear what that sounds like. And then I'm gonna play you a little bit from the second record here. They're very different. I think they're equally great. And uh, yeah, I hope you like it. So we'll go Let's with go. the first song from the first records first. This is a song called Hello Kitties. Cheap Trick by Cheap Trick.
the second round. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. That da Hey! Yeah, right. Very good. The same guitar part. I can see why you like it. And then here's a song from In Color. It's called Down. In Color by Cheap Trick. Gives you a different sense of... Cheap Trick toured a whole bunch of cities and they did three night stands where on night one they played Cheap Trick in order, on night two they played In Color in order, and on night three they played Heaven Tonight in order, and then they Fun. played all these greatest hits and other tracks. They right. didn't repeat a song over three nights. Uh, I went to all three shows at the Great American Music Hall uh, and I, I have rarely had as much fun uh, in an audience because it was all cheap trick <laughs> lunatics you know by the third night we were all seeing each other because we all stood in the same spot and see like hey yeah, like, by night three it was like going to a, <laughs> to a family reunion um i love this band i don't have i don't really have any critical distance of this stuff from six six seventy six to seventy nine they're fun as hell they're unpretentious they're goofy they're wonderfully Midwestern. Like they take it really seriously. And at the same time, they're like, you know what would make this great is if I had a six necked guitar yeah. and I and I threw 400 picks out of my hand, yeah. flicking them like a magician before I did it. And I there's something about the combination of that kind of goofy Midwestern charm and uh, and a and a really high level of songwriting and uh, musicianship that for me is a delicious little cookie. And I love these guys. Long and career. At some other time, I'll tell you my friend's hilarious Bunny Carlos marijuana story, but I should probably get his permission first before I do that. Okay. All right. Can't wait to hear that. Hey, you know, I bought uh, Flannery and Patrick their first guitar uh, this week. They Each one to... or are they sharing one? They're sharing one. Let's not get crazy, but they, uh, they, they've got a... Um... 15 minutes a day requirement right now to pay me back. Um, but I made a little uh, cheap trick joke at the guitar shop about picks. And I got a laugh from the three guitar there guys. There you go. I he was, was like, oh, uh -huh. yeah. Like, Inside hey, baseball. do you guys like podcasts? Because we got a little podcast going. I should. That's the marketing department at work, buying That's children right. guitars. That's what we do. <laughs> All right. Another Jeff genre, the garage rock. NRBQ is another band of this. Yeah. I just don't care for it all. Um, <laughs> Surrender's not on either of these records. Surrender comes out in 78. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically, there's, there's like, that's, there's one legit, like, what can you say? That's a fantastic song. So good. 
So this good. record, these records do not have fantastic songs on them, and, and that's why I don't like them. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> they're, big in, they're big in Japan. By the way, you haven't lived until you've heard Ben. Uh, ben had used to have this whole shtick at college of whether "Eternal Flame" or "The Flame" was the worst song ever written, <laughs> and the Bangles versus Cheat Trick, and it was it was really great. And if he had just the right amount of beer in him, he believed it. He believed an argument the way some people believe in the Constitution. That was. <laughs> Oh, dude, oh, and, and also I can report that uh, unlike some of the Jeff's picks that I haven't liked, this is not one where my opinion is is backdated. It's not one where I listened to it in 1995 and just never listened to it again. Right, right. Friend of the podcast, Scott Schimmel, hosts often our poker game. And typically at the poker game, I do DJ, I take track. But uh, one day Scott was like, listen, take a break because I bought a I bought a uh, actual turntable and we got a whole stereo ah. And I'm gonna we're gonna listen to an entire record. I was like, you did this freaking amazing, man. What like what you get? What's the record? It's like, well, the first piece of vinyl I got is cheap trick, cheap trick. Yeah, it's because Shimmel is the man. That's great. So when we got to side two, honey on the tax man or whatever that song is, on oh. two, I was like, listen. <laughs> no, no. I'm gonna take a baseball bat to the speakers. I'm not listening to anymore horrible you know what's so funny so last year record store day and you remember friend of the podcast harvest records right they hooked me up hooked me oh, up did they? with a copy of the cheap trick 1977 live double vinyl that was their record store day it turned Matt out to be really harvest hard records. to get so yeah. big love to harvest but that came in the mail and i was listening to it and I put up on like, you know, I, that stupid social media, like digging cheap trick. And I like 15 musician friends of mine, are like, what, what is it? Which one are you listening to? And I told them, I was like, there's a new one. And then I started writing back, like just scored it on eBay for $80. Like, do you think it's worth a hundred dollars? I'm like, I will make you a copy. <laughs> but like cheap trick fans are most likely to have to wipe their mouths after they make an argument about how great the band is. It's like wow. all slobber and too much noise. Like, it's like when you see a guy trying to explain why baseball is great to a woman and he's just he's just really overdoing it. That's yeah. every cheap trick fan in America. So. That's a great analogy. for sure. That really is. All right, gentlemen. Well, let's bring this puppy to a close. Uh, Joe was pressuring me with the Fleetwood Mac pick. Which would be uh, a fine pick, Joe. It Joe, would be a good pick. You're doing well, Joe. Uh, there's there's a, a Bee Gees live album that I took a look at. Uh, I eventually... If you went double Bee Gees, Timmy, that would I be... Did. I couldn't even criticize you. I'd be like, well, I didn't really say anything. I also chose a Bee Gees record. I know. Well, I actually landed on Saturday Night Fever, but Ben took it from me. So you know what? Going back to album covers and memorable album covers, I remember being seven years old and staring at my older brother's copy of Out of the Blue by Electric Light Orchestra. And just something about spaceships when you're seven years old and Star Wars is out in the theater just kind of captures your thinking. And then you play the record on your brother's turntable when he's not home. Um, and so I don't know. I don't, I don't know much about Jeff Lynn uh, besides he's the, the guy with the glasses and the, and the curly hair in uh, Traveling Wilburys. Uh, but before that, he was in ELO and he wrote some really 
fun little songs like Turn to Stone. What do you want? Turn to Stone or Sweet Talking Woman, Jeff? Oh, I want Mr. Blue Sky, but I'll take you. I'll take whatever you want. Take uh, let's go Sweet Talking Woman. Out of the Blue by Electric Light Orchestra. <laughs> I tried to help you, Tim. I was searching, searching on a one-way street. I was hoping, hoping for a chance to meet. I was waiting for the operator on the line. He's gone so in a in a brb airbnb kitchen in portland oregon so we'll just pause right there <laughs> i have always hated this band way more than I hate cheap trick like cheap trick has several songs that i like and i understand this band oh i hate that keyboard sound this is actually this explains part of the reason why i don't like beatlesque yeah, I knew you were going to go there. With people are like, like the Beatles are fine. The Beatles are good. Yeah. Well, all of the be- the great bulk of the Beatlesque material sounds like this. And it's really, really bad. Like, you don't like Beatlesque like, stuff. Really hacky acoustic guitar. I can't stand the background vocals. The lyrics are stupid. And the keyboard. But in particular, this is a keyboard <laughs> band. And they drive me completely around the band. And speaking of course. Of- his beloved wife and my great, great dear friend, Lisa Sorensen, is the world's biggest ELO fan. They went to Detroit, Michigan to see ELO live because that was the closest place to Knoxville. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I've had to start it many times and I, there's no bend at all. Like, I just can't stand them. You know um, what I think ELO is? If yeah. you took Parliament Funkadelic and just put a needle in it and squeezed all the funk out of it, you'd have Electric Light Orchestra. There's 26 guys on stage. People are playing cellos. The spaceship comes down out of the ceiling. And it's the opposite of Funkadelic. Like the Parliament Funkadelic show is like, we got the funk. And there's like 27 people. And this is sweet talking woman. Same amount of people, same pyrotechnics, very different output. This is also a double record. Yeah, it is. A lot we're of double the, records coming like, out. Yeah, because we're in the Frampton comes alive yep. aftermath yep. we're like because if you could put a double record out and make 10 million you you, tr- you double your money it's one production moment twice the payoff right? i like so, the cheap trick idea just put two albums out in the same year instead yeah well that would turn out did not turn out as well but for them ben, turned out for I, electric in, light in defense of keyboards when you're on a spaceship you can't bring a piano you need <laughs> keyboards that's their high-tech mode of being Jeff Simons, Mr. Blue Sky, to lead us out of 1977. Oh, wait, one last thing, one last thing. Uh-huh. I also really, really, really am mad at him for the Tom Petty records that he yes. ruined, ruined. Is he, is he into sounds. the great wide open? Is yes, that... he is. Yeah. That record... Any, 
Yeah. It's yeah. unforgivable. He'll, it, it's unforgivable. You know, he, he's full moon fever too, but he does he can't ruin that record because the songs are so fantastic. No, he kind of sort of does ruin it. Um, <laughs> even though I mean because those songs are fantastic. Those songs are so strong. There's those songs are on a par with the songs on Wildflowers, but the yeah. production's so bad. Was he got yeah. like like strings in the background or something? No, no, it's just there's no that what Jeff Lynn wants to do is, is take all of the moments where the energy might cause you to do Have something unpredictable <laughs> and remove it entirely from the production. Like it's just, it is so flat and predictive. Like that's what's such a bummer about those two Tom Petty records is like, you just know what's coming. Like there's no just one also no... just shine, shine, shine. Like comfortable polish where it's like, oh my God, you know who Jeff Lynn is? No. Do you remember the Simpsons where Homer puts his head in the shino ballo when he's working <laughs> at the bowling alley and the guy comes up and goes, Homer, did you put your head in the shino ballo? And then he fixes his hair in the squeaky forehead. That's in the electric light orchestra record. It's Homer Simpson's squeaky forehead. All right. You both are snobs and connoisseurs. Mr. Blue Sky. To Lisa the great, I love this song. Great. becomes uh oh it is it's oh, a day in the life yeah. yeah woke up fell out of bed yeah that's home it across. it's yeah. you know what that song it's uh it's like beatlesque that's what i'm saying <laughs> thank you jimmy good night out there on the west coast well done friend tell, georgia, you tell georgia we love her and she's gonna do great she's selected an awesome awesome school Indeed. Love you guys. Great night. Well, the whole right. fall will we will be be outing our own children's college process, Tim. Is that is that our plan? Like to give the monthly update on how uh God, is that how happen? the great college uh, scramble yeah. is going for us. I yeah. am not ready. I'm gonna be so emotional through this volleyball season. You know, it's uh it's my own daughter. I've got my uh libero who I've known for four years, like they're all seniors. These five seniors, it's just gonna be a tough tough uh couple months of volleyball so we'll see i'll i'll talk to you about it all some other podcast when i start all right, all right friends all right well. take care guys talk to you later bye thanks for listening to 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys here on the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. If you like this one, go ahead and give us a review at iTunes and check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Peace. 
ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Electric Cast.